Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Of you, I would invite you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25 as our children are, are leaving to go to kids' worship time. And as you're turning in your Bibles, and as you're just thinking about the Lord this morning, and singing about the holiness of the Lord that we have been singing about this morning, I want to ask you to evaluate your life. I'm just going to ask you a simple question this morning, but there may be a profound answer deep in your heart. What do you truly, I mean truly, what do you truly desire deep down in your heart? What can you say this morning truly satisfies you, gives you satisfaction? For some of you, maybe it's a dream vacation. You've saved up money, and you just want to go on that dream vacation. And it could be uh, sticking your toes in the sand and just hearing the sound of the beach, the waves crashing upon the shore. For others of you, it may be walking hand in hand down the streets of Rome looking at the museums. For others, it may be Disneyland. It's a trip that you finally, finally get to go on, and you've been thinking to yourself, if I finally go on that trip, my life will be worth something. It will truly bring me satisfaction if I get to go on that dream vacation. Well, for others of you, maybe what brings you satisfaction is eating a meal with your family on a major holiday, like, say, Thanksgiving or, or, or Christmas, and you're, you're there with your family, and you've got the security of your family, and your whole family's there, and you're, you're eating a great meal, and you think to yourself, this is the most satisfying experience I could ever have. I've got my family. I've got great food. Nothing gets better than this. For some of you, it may be a hobby or a sport that you're consumed with. It could be golfing. It could be hunting. It could be needlepoint. It could be painting, it could be hiking, it could be lifting weights. Whatever it is that you find yourself doing and you think to yourself, if that thing was taken away from me, I would be crushed. If I don't get to take that vacation, I would be crushed. If I don't get to have that family meal at, at Christmas time, I would be crushed. If, if I don't get to continue doing what I really like to do, I would be crushed. What brings you satisfaction this morning deep in your hearts? Now, here's something that will shock you. You and I were made for pleasure. Okay, hear me correctly. You and I were made to find satisfaction in the right person, in the right place. There's nothing inherently wrong with enjoying a great meal with your family. There's nothing inherently wrong with enjoying a great vacation. There's nothing inherently wrong with enjoying a hobby or a sport. What becomes a problem is when you elevate those things to ultimate and you say those things alone 
are what brings me satisfaction. And I'm going to put my heart fully into those things above God. In the opening pages of his famous book, The Confessions, St. Augustine writes these famous words. He's talking to God. The confessions are Augustine's prayers to the Lord. And he says, you, Lord, you stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you've made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. God has made us for himself. That's why we were created, to bring glory to God, to find satisfaction in God. And the human heart will be restless until it finds satisfaction in Jesus. If Jesus is not your chief desire, if Jesus is not your ultimate, if Jesus is not everything to you, everything else in your life, you're going to be restless. You're going to be dissatisfied. You're going to be longing for more. You're going to always be discontent. You're always going to be fearful. You're always going to be frustrated because God has made us for himself. He's made the human heart to find total satisfaction in Jesus. And if you look for it in other places, you will be disappointed. So why this morning do I bring up this issue of finding satisfaction in Jesus? Finding your true satisfaction and filling and longing in Jesus. Well, it's important to what we find out in Exodus. So let's review for a moment where we are in the book. Roger, are the house lights all the way up? There we go. Um, We started last week a new section in the book of Exodus. Remember the three parts of the book of Exodus. You've got the hand of the Lord that delivers them out of Egyptian bondage. You've got the word of the Lord that he gives in his law at Mount Sinai. Now we're in the third portion, the dwelling place of the Lord, where God gives Moses explicit instructions on how to build the tabernacle, how to build that tent. And if we looked at last week, you'd think God would start with just the actual tent itself, but God starts with that piece of furniture in the center of the tent that was the most important, the Ark of the Covenant. And if you remember, the Ark of the Covenant represented the absolute holiness of God. And there was that atonement cover, that that mercy seat, where the blood was smeared seven times by the priest, representing how the people's sins were forgiven on that one day, the day of atonement. And the Ark of the Covenant was to be placed in the very center of the tabernacle called the Holy of Holies. And so we move out from the Holy of Holies to the next part called just the holy place. Not the holy, holy place, but the the holy place. And what we see next is a seemingly incidental piece of furniture that was to hold the bread of the presence. So, let's read together Exodus chapter 25, starting in verse 23. And some of you that grew up in the King James Version, you may remember this was called the showbread. The showbread or the bread of presence. So let's read this together. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it. 
at a handbreadth wide and a molding of gold around the rim, and you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four centers at its four legs. Close to the frame, the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. All right. You're like, this is going to be an exciting message today. Cubits and bread and poles and gold. Okay, here's what I want to do, okay? I don't want to lose the forest for the trees when we get into all these intricate directions about how to build these different pieces of furniture to the tabernacle. So I want to ask two questions today. The first one, we're going to spend a very short amount of time on. The second one, we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Here's the first question that I want us to ask of this passage of Scripture. What did the bread of the presence symbolize for Israel? What what is this all about? What is the bread of presence? What did it symbolize? What was the purpose? Okay, it's very similar instructions to the Ark of the Covenant. It was a table, a little bit smaller than the Ark of the Covenant, but it was to be overlaid in gold. It was to be made of acacia wood. Think of a, a, like a little coffee table with, with long legs to be set there in the holy place. And they were to put, and the most important word in this entire passage of Scripture is the very last word in verse 30. You shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly, perpetually. Remember last week when we talked about the Ark of the Covenant? When was the mercy seat or the atonement lid used? One day of the year. The day of atonement, one day. On that one day, if you remember, the priest would kill the animals, take the blood in, smear it seven times on the atonement lid. The day of atonement, it was one day of the year. This bread of the presence is to be there every day, all the time. Perpetually bread on the table. Perpetually baked sitting on the table. Now, let's go to Leviticus. It'll be on your screen. This tells us what the bread was, the purpose of the bread was for. Leviticus 24, 7 through 9. You shall put pure frankincense on each pile of the bread, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, okay, that's every Saturday, Aaron shall arrange it, the bread, before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever, and it shall be for Aaron and his sons. They shall eat it in the holy place, since it is from him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offering, a perpetual due. Now, what's going on here? Let me just explain it to you. The bread of the presence, 12 loaves, were to be perpetually on the table. So on the Sabbath, Aaron would bake the bread. He would put the bread out on the table, 12 Loaves, 12 pieces, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And they would stay there for a week. And you don't want bread to get moldy, so what happens? The next week, he bakes the rest of them, and he goes and he replaces them. Make sure there's never a time when bread's not on the table. Bread always has to be on the table. Always baking bread, always putting, putting bread on the table. The, the bread has to be there. Now, you, you're thinking, this is really strange. Is, is God hungry? Why, why, do, why do we have to? It's like we're giving bread to God because he's hungry? Well, the priests were actually supposed to eat the bread. But literally there, the bread of the presence, the show bread. In the Hebrew text, verse 30, 
you shall set the bread of the presence, literally before the face of God. The bread in the very presence before the face of God regularly. Now, what does it symbolize? What does it mean that the bread was to be there all the time? Here's simply what it meant. The bread always being there, perpetually on the table, always being baked, always on the table, was a visual reminder to the Israelites that God would always, perpetually, time and time again, provide for their physical needs. It was a reminder that God takes care of the physical needs of his people. Why was it daily? It was a daily reminder. It was a perpetual reminder that God provides daily for your needs. Remember back in Exodus 16, I know it was a long time ago, what did God provide daily for the people from heaven? Manna, this bread-like substance, came down daily for the people. And now in the permanent little tabernacle here where you've got the bread of the presence, it's to always be there to show that God provides for the needs of his people. Psalm 104, 14 through 15. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock. Amen. This, this is very applicable to, to this area out here. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. God takes care of us. He causes the grass to go. He, he causes the crops to grow. He, he gives food for your animals. He, he gives us our daily bread. God provides for our needs. Psalm 111.5. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. Now, at this point, this is a great message for us. A very practical message. A great message. God will provide daily for your needs. Not necessarily your wants, but your needs. God will provide daily for your physical needs. Now, what did Jesus teach us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Matthew 6.11. What did Jesus say? Give us this day our daily bread. That's a good prayer to pray. Jesus, I need things today. God promises to meet our needs. Philippians 4.19, Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is a great message. God answers prayer. God meets your needs. God will provide for your daily needs. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's go home. It's a great message, right? And it's a good message. But let me just tell you something. If I were to preach this in an Orthodox synagogue yesterday among Orthodox Jews, they would say, Amen. We agree with you. God provides for our needs. That's a great message. An Orthodox Jew can agree with it. God provides for your needs. A person on the street can agree with it. God provides for my needs. Okay. The question we've been asking every week as we look at Exodus is, okay, we've got to go deeper into this. What is this telling us deeper about the gospel, about the issues related to the heart. So here's the second question. So first question, what did it mean to Israel? Okay, it was just a daily reminder every day that God provided for their physical needs. God provided them daily bread. It was always on the, on the table every day for the 12 tribes of Israel to show God provides for your daily needs. He provides bread. He provides physical sustenance. But let's ask the, the deeper question because I think it's the more important question. 
Here's the second question. How does the bread of the presence point us to Jesus? Okay, everything in the tabernacle points to Jesus as the greater reality. What did we see last week? That Ark of the Covenant points us to Jesus, how he is the atonement. He's the mercy seat. He's the propitiation for our sins. What does the bread of the presence point us to Jesus? Okay. Think about an incident in Jesus' life where he fed a lot of people bread. Remember that? The feeding of the 5,000. Okay, you're awake. Some of you are awake out there. How did Jesus feed the 5,000? Five barley loaves and two fish, and how many were left over? How many baskets were left over? Twelve. That's not a coincidence, is it? Twelve baskets left over, twelve pieces of bread on the, on the, on the bread of the presence. Okay. Here's the question with the feeding of the 5,000. What did the people think about Jesus feeding them food? Well, they thought he was a cosmic Santa Claus that came and would give them a daily happy meal. I love Jesus because he satisfies my hunger. He gives me what I want. Man, this was an awesome miracle. He fed 5,000 people. Jesus, keep coming because I won't ever have to go back to, the, to Walmart and buy bread. I won't ever have to. You just keep coming. Keep giving me my miracle. Keep giving me my physical sustenance. Jesus, I love this arrangement. Keep feeding me every day. You're making my life better. And the people did not recognize Jesus as a Messiah or a Savior. They, they recognized him as a good teacher. They recognized him as a miracle worker. And that's how people respond to Jesus today. A lot of people approach Jesus as he's a great moral teacher. He's a, a life guru coach that can give you some principles for living. He's a cosmic vending machine that gives me what I want. A lot of people like the idea of Jesus. But how many people actually submit to his lordship as the king of their life? The people in the crowd simply followed Jesus because he fed their belly. Did they need their bellies to be fed? Was that their ultimate need? No. Now that's a need. It's a physical need. Jesus provides for your physical needs. But there's something deeper that all of us need and Jesus addressed that need when he fed the 5,000. So I'm going to ask you to jump out of Exodus and jump forward into the book of John where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And then he begins to teach them about who he is in relation to the feeding of the 5,000. So don't lose track of Exodus. So I'm asking you to do two things at once. Keep Exodus at the back of your mind, the bread of the presence, the bread regularly on that table, and now we're going to go to Jesus feeding the 5,000. But keep in the back of your mind this table, picture this table with perpetual 12 loaves of bread on it, the bread of the presence. So let's just pick up in John chapter 6, starting in verse 30. We're just going to look at five verses here. Verse 30. It's after the 5,000. After walking on water, he's gone to the other side of the lake. They followed him. They, they basically rushed to Jesus and say, we, we want to continue to have this miracle. You left us hanging, Jesus. You gave us food. We, we want more. So here we go. Pick up verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, 
I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Like they did in the wilderness. We want this bread every day. Always. We, we want the manna coming every day. We want the bread. We want it always. Give us this bread. What are they thinking? We want physical bread. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Here's the main truth I want to leave you with today. Not incidental details about the bread of the presence and some furniture in the tabernacle. This is what I want you to leave with today. As the bread of life, Jesus alone satisfies your deepest spiritual needs. He's the bread of life, and he alone satisfies your deepest spiritual needs. He profoundly makes this statement in verse 35. Literally in the Greek text, I, I am the bread of life. It's not physical bread that Jesus is offering them. Jesus is offering him himself, a life-giving person, the bread that's come down for heaven to give himself as life for the world. Jesus is saying, listen, don't look for satisfaction in these, these loaves of bread that I gave you. I am the only source of your satisfaction. I am the bread of life. And Jesus gives a promise. What, what happens when you come to this bread of life? Look what he says there at the second half of verse 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, in the original language, those are what we call double negatives. You could translate it this way. Whoever comes to me shall never know not ever hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never know not ever Thirst, Jesus will absolutely satisfy all those who come to him. What does he say there emphatically? I'm the bread of life. I alone, I am the bread of life. And you will never, no, not ever thirst. You will know not ever hunger. And you can look at that as a mere physical expression of, okay, Jesus is going to provide for me a feeding of the 5,000 every day. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is taking it to a deeper level and saying, listen, I alone can satisfy your deepest spiritual needs. Now let's ask the question. Okay, if Jesus alone satisfies your deepest spiritual needs, what then are those needs? We could spend a month of Sundays talking about your deepest spiritual needs, but for today, let me suggest three deep spiritual needs that all of us have. Okay, so let me just give these to you. First of all, and this is the most important, this is where everything starts. First of all, we desperately need salvation. That's the greatest, deepest spiritual need is salvation. It's interesting, when I went back and studied this text in the original language, something caught my eye that I'd never seen before. I've preached through this many times. I've taught upon this. Jesus says in John 6.35, 
I'm going to give it to you how the original Greek says it, and just see if you catch it. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of the life. What does your English translation say? I'm the bread of life. In the original language, there's the put before life. I am the bread of the life. Well, that's an interesting phrase, the life. What kind of life does Jesus give? It's the life. It's abundant life. It's eternal life. It's it's new life in Christ. And so Jesus says, if you come to me, if you plunge yourself into me, if you believe into me, if you trust fully in me, you will receive the life, the eternal life, me as the bread of the life. Now, what does this assume is your condition before you come to Jesus? If Jesus is going to give you the life, eternal life, new life, what does it assume about you before you come to Jesus? It assumes something very devastating. If Jesus gives you life, what does it assume before you come to Jesus to get life? What's the opposite of life? Death. It assumes that you are spiritually dead without Jesus as the life. You're, what they say, spiritually dead in sins. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. If you're here today... And you have not come to Jesus as the bread of the life. You are spiritually dead and you need a resurrection. You need Jesus to make you alive. You need new life. And only Jesus can give that to you as a free gift of grace. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. You don't merit this new life. All you do is you cry out to Jesus, I need life. I come to you. Please forgive me of my sin. You own up to that. You come to him for forgiveness. You come to him because your greatest spiritual need is salvation, which means you are dead and you need the life that Jesus himself offers you as a life-giving person, the bread of life. So you may be here today and your greatest need is salvation. You need spiritual life that Jesus alone can give. So that's the first deep spiritual need. It starts there. You need salvation. But there may be some of us here today that fit the second category of what we need. Second, some of us desperately need strength. What happens when you don't eat or drink? You get sick. You get weak. How many of you here today are spiritually weak. How many of you here today are facing something that just seems insurmountable? I I don't know if I can face what's going to happen tomorrow. There may be some of you here that are beaten down 
by the trials of life. You're facing extreme spiritual warfare. Or maybe it's a disheartening sickness. Or maybe it's issues in your family or marriage. But some of you walked in this place and you're like, I'm barely hanging on. And I frankly, Pastor Sean, want to give up. I am so weak. I am so spiritually weak this morning. And you don't need me as your pastor to get in your face and say, well, buck up, little camper, just be a better Christian. That would make you mad at me, want to punch me in the face. Some of you may just say, you know what, I'm so much in despair, I just want to go off in a corner and cry because I can't face life. Now, does God expect you to just kind of produce the strength within yourself? And God says, get a grip, Christian. Get yourself strong. Listen to what the Bible says. Psalm 73, 25 through 26. Whom I have high in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What does Jesus, as the bread of life, promise you? If you're weak, if you need strength. Listen to Jesus' own words in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Some of you here are barely hanging on. Some of you need rest for your souls. Some of you are just so weak. You just need to come to Jesus and take his yoke upon you because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 2 Corinthians twelve nine. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's the most paradoxical passage of Scripture I ever read. God wants you to be weak. Because when you're weak, then he's strong. If we were strong and we had it all together and, and, and we had this great courage and we had this great sufficiency, we wouldn't need God. We'd walk in our own flesh, we'd walk in our own power, and we'd say, God, you're an afterthought. But when we're weak, when we're insufficient, when we're inadequate, when we feel spiritually drained, when we feel powerless, that's when Christ shines the most brightly because it's in those moments that his power is made perfect in your weakness. The bread of the presence was there all the time as a visual reminder that God is always there. God always provides. God will give you strength. And if that fits your description this morning, you would say in your heart of hearts this morning, Pastor Sean, that's me. I'm weak. I need strength. I'm about to give up. Let me just pray over you the prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, 19 through 21, Paul prays this prayer. He says, I want you to know, Christian, this morning, if this fits your description, what is the immeasurable greatness 
of His power toward us who believe. According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. If you're struggling this morning, guess what type of power God gives you? It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. I don't know about you, but that's pretty strong power. That's a measurable power. Paul says it's immeasurable. You can't even get a yardstick out and measure it. There's no measurement that can quantify or even qualify what this great power is that God has towards us who believe in him. So some of you here today may need salvation. You're spiritually dead, and you need the life that Jesus alone gives as the bread of the life. Some of you are weak here today, and you just need strength that the bread of life gives you. But all of us, this third category, third, we desperately need sustenance. Okay, what does bread do for you? It sustains you. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you eat once and then never eat again? I got my bread, I ate it, and I'm good. What happens about six hours later? What happens to your stomach? You start getting hungry again. So bread is not meant to be eaten once and then, okay, I ate my bread, I'm good for the rest of my life. When you come to faith in Jesus, it's not like, okay, I took Jesus, I'm good for the rest of my life. No, you need a constant supply of grace, and you and I need a constant supply of Jesus growing us and encouraging us and strengthening us and sustaining us so that we can bear fruit, that we can be obedient, fruitful, thriving Christians so that you're not just running on fumes, that you grow in Jesus. What did Jesus say in John 15, 5? Not only did Jesus say, I'm the bread of the life, in John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we're going to bear fruit, if we're going to grow, if we're going to thrive spiritual, we need the sustenance, the ongoing strength, the ongoing sustenance, the ongoing. Remember the bread of the presence perpetually on the table? We need the ongoing presence of Christ in our lives as he is the vine, we're the branch, and we are connected to him. What did Jesus say in the Beatitude? In the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger and never thirst. I will satisfy you. Okay, here's the point. You and I were created to hunger for Jesus in an ongoing manner. The way you get hungry for food, like some of you are like, I wish you would just get done so I can go to the restaurant and eat because I'm hungry. That rumbling in your stomach where the body says, I need food, the craving of food, God has put within the Christian that desire for more of Christ, that desire for righteousness, that, that hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But here's the problem. When you get hungry for Jesus, do you go find satisfaction in him or do you go find satisfaction in cheap substitutes? C.S. Lewis wrote 
or had a famous sermon called The Weight of Glory. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the ocean. We are far too easily pleased. Now, a picture in your mind. This little kid is sitting in a slum making mud pies, thinking, this is, this is great. When, like, a mile behind him is the ocean where he can go make sandcastles and be in this huge ocean. But he'd rather sit there and make mud pies in a slum than go to the ocean and experience the beauty of what God has for him. And C.S. Lewis says, that's, that's the Christian life. Far too many of us are over here making mud pies in the slums when Christ is offered to us in all of his glory. And Jeremiah puts it this way in Jeremiah 2, 12 through 13. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You and I were created to long for Jesus, to hunger for Jesus, to grow with Jesus. And what do we often do? Instead of going to the fountain of living water, the bread of life, what do we do? We go to the moldy, the septic tank, the stagnant water, and we play around in this gross mud thinking that that's going to satisfy when Jesus offers himself as the bread of life because we would rather have the cheap substitute than Jesus himself. Think about hunger for a moment. Hunger and thirst for Jesus. When was the last time you were really, really hungry? Our culture knows nothing of hunger. Our culture knows nothing of hunger in America that much. I, I know there's hunger problems in pockets in America, and I'm not downplaying that. But for the most part, we are an affluent country. Here's a great trivia question for you this morning. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, what is Carleton, Minnesota famous for? Anybody? Anybody been to Carleton, Minnesota? It's the home, Steve Smith may know this, it's the home of the world's largest bacon cheeseburger. Okay. This massive burger contains more than 60 pounds of bacon, 50 pounds of lettuce, 50 pounds of sliced onions, 40 pounds of pickles, and 40 pounds of American cheese, coming to a grand total of more than a ton. They built a giant outdoor oven to cook the burger and the bun using a crane to flip the burger. Only in America does this stuff like this happen. I mean, we're a nation that really doesn't understand hunger. I mean, most of you here probably had breakfast. Many of you will go out to eat after this. And, and, and you know, there's, there's those places that give you way too much food, like Cheesecake Factory. We in America have even invented something. What do we call it? The doggy bag. Because you couldn't finish what was at the restaurant, you got to take it home. We don't understand hunger and thirst. But if you're hungry, it's painful. If you're thirsty, you need it quenched. Think about the last time, I'm so thirsty. Well, get over it. Go to Walmart and buy a Dasani. Go to your faucet and turn it on. I mean, when we go to our unreached people group in an unspecific location that most of you know where we're going, but I can't announce because this is broadcast all over the world, 
There are wells that are filthy. That you see people, little kids, drinking water out of these wells, and it is black, green, brown, whatever weird colors come out of there, and they're drinking it. You see, when you hunger and thirst for Jesus, it's not just like a passing thing. It's something that's to be ongoing. Bread of the presence. Was it there just one day a week? How long was it there? Perpetually, regularly, ongoing, on the table, symbolizing that's the way we should pursue Jesus. It's an ongoing pursuit. It's an ongoing satisfaction. It's an ongoing desire to have his presence in our lives. I mean, you read some of these psalms and you think, that's a weird expression to talk about my relationship to Jesus. Psalm 42, 1 through 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where shall I go, or when shall I come and appear before this God? When was the last time someone came to you and said, how's your relationship with God? You said, I'm panting for him. That's weird. I'm panting for Jesus. I'm thirsting for Jesus. Do we truly understand what it means to long for Christ. In the ancient East, during the time of Jesus and the disciples in the Old Testament, there wasn't the Culligan man. Russell couldn't come around with his little truck and deliver to you water. Uh, you couldn't go to Walmart and get Dasani or Aquafina or whatever type of flavored drink you want. They had water salesmen. These water salesmen would come into the villages, and you can picture a Middle Eastern village with all the dust and all the sand, and the water vendor would get out in the middle of the village and he would sell water. Because it was a hot commodity. You'd have to go to underground springs. And so water salesmen would come to town, and you would have to buy water from the water salesman. That was an image that that ancient Near Eastern culture understood. Come buy water from the water salesman because water is a commodity. Listen to Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. This was our call to worship this morning. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Well, how do you buy and eat if you have no money? The point is it's free. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me that your soul may live and I will make, my, make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Come to Jesus as the bread of life as the living water. You don't need money. You just come and he gives it to you freely. Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. What did Paul say in comparison to everything else that he was pursuing he said, listen, I'm making a definitive break with my past life, and I'm making an 180-degree turn, and I'm pursuing Jesus. In Philippians 3, 8, he says, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as scubalon, rubbish, in order that I may gain God promises to fill us. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. 
If you come to Jesus, you will never know, not ever thirst. You will never know, not ever hunger. What does God promise to fill us with? Listen to some of the the goodness that Christ promises to fill us with. Psalm 81.10. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Open your mouth wide and God will fill you with his good things of the gospel. Psalm 107.9. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God promises to satisfy you, to fill you, to quench your thirst, to, to ease your spiritual hunger, to sustain you right now. But there's a future promise. When we get to heaven... I love the way Revelation chapter 7, verses 16 and 17, tell us what Jesus will be doing for us in heaven. Picture what Christ will be doing for us in heaven. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb, that's Jesus, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Not only does Jesus promise to satisfy you now, sustain you now, but he will do that forever for you in the future when we're in heaven. So there's really only two kinds of people in this world. There's no middle ground. The Bible knows of no middle ground. There's only two people in this world. There are those, number one, who have been satisfied by Jesus. You've taken Jesus as your bread of life. You've you've gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. You've received that power. You've received that strength. You've received that sustenance. You've, You've received Christ as your life, and your life's been changed because of that. You've taken Jesus as the bread of the life. But there's a second group of people that know nothing of this bread. They haven't taken of Jesus They're like an outsider looking in, and they're trying to satisfy themselves with all these things in the world, and they just feel hollow, they just feel empty, they just, nothing satisfies. And let me just say to you, if you're the second person today, and you've tried everything in this life to try to satisfy, and you feel empty, and you feel dejected, and you're never, you're never content, would I encourage you today to come to Jesus? Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to cleanse you from the inside out. Cast yourself upon his mercy as the bread of life to truly satisfy you. Humble yourself before the Lord. Admit that you need him alone as your Savior. So there's the only two types of people, those who've come to Christ and those who haven't. If you haven't come to Christ. Now, there may be some of you in the first category. You've come to Christ but you're not feasting on the bread of life regularly the way you should. Oh, on Sunday mornings I come and the table, the bread's on the table and I'll eat and that's good enough for Sunday. But the other six days I'm kind of doing my own thing. How many days was the bread on the, supposed to be on the table? Every day. You know, there's some of you that just need to rekindle that passion for Jesus and say, you know what, I'm just not content to take him one day a week. I need Jesus every day. I'm going to pursue him. I'm going I'm to I'm gonna long for him. These, these psalms that talk about thirsting and hungering. I don't want to be stagnant anymore. I don't want to be living in stagnation. I want to grow. I want to thrive. What should you do today? Here's what all of us should do today. 
Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Take refuge in Jesus as the bread of life who alone can satisfy your deepest spiritual need. He is the bread of the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's our only source of hope, our only source of joy. Would we all feast on Jesus, taste and see that he's good, take refuge in him, long for Jesus, thirst for Jesus, seek Jesus, desire Jesus, come to him. I can't think of any other words to use. Come to Christ this morning. Let's bow our heads and go to him in prayer today. Jesus, you are the bread of the life. And if anyone comes to you, they will never know, not ever hunger and know, not ever thirst. We will be satisfied. So, Lord, I'm going to pray this morning for the three categories that we talked about in our message. I'm going to pray, first of all, Lord, for those that need salvation. So if there are those here today, Lord, that need salvation, they're spiritually dead and they need spiritual life. They need to be saved from their sins. I, I pray, Lord Jesus, today would be the day of their salvation today, would be the day they cry out to you. Today is the day that they confess their sin and they submit themselves to you alone as Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that today you'd save many who need salvation. Lord, secondly, I want to pray for those that just need strength. Lord, there may be many in this flock today, many that have walked into this place as a, as a sheep that just feels battered by the world. They're weak. They're barely hanging on. They're facing insurmountable struggles. They, they, they just don't, they don't feel any hope, Lord. They may be even at the point of despair. Would you grant them strength? Would you satisfy that deepest need of strength in their life? And Lord, the third category, there's all of us that need sustain, the sustenance that comes from that ongoing feeding on you. We need to pray and to read our Bibles and to cultivate that intimacy with you, Lord. And so I pray this week that you would grant us the grace to pursue you, Jesus, to desire you, to, to hunger and thirst after you. Lord, when we find ourselves looking at things in the world to give us satisfaction, just bring conviction, Holy Spirit, in those moments. Lord, just show us that those things are empty, those things are foolish, those things don't satisfy. And Lord, let us have a distaste for those things and let us turn our eyes to you, Jesus, as the only one that can satisfy. Let us be like David in the Psalms where we we pant and thirst and long for you, Jesus. Lord, whatever you need to do in our hearts this morning, we submit to you. You're Lord. You're the bread of the life. You're the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. And so we want to be a people that submit to your lordship. Thank you, Jesus, that you satisfy our deepest spiritual needs. Will we leave this place encouraged, hopeful, and satisfied in you alone, Jesus, as King of kings and Lord of lords. All to your glory. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.